Welcome to The Driven Entrepreneur, where we sit down with visionaries, trailblazers, and entrepreneurs, and discover why and how they do what they do. We'll get the backstory, plus plenty of life and business lessons along the way. Here's your host, Matt Browning. Hey, this episode is brought to you by my very own NLP Practitioner Course. I've been teaching neuro-linguistic programming, or NLP, for nearly 15 years. It is the most powerful tool for communication on the planet, and it can be yours today. For a very limited time, I'm giving away my entire NLP course workbook for free. Go to nlpwithmatt.com. All the patterns, all the tools, and the techniques of NLP in the complete course workbook, the same one that we use to teach our live certification classes, yours free. NLPwithmatt.com. Get it today. Let's get back to the show. Hey, what's going on, my friends? Welcome back to The Driven Entrepreneur. It's Matt Browning. And as per usual, I'm coming at you ready to give you an awesome weekend. And I want you to have someone to meet, something to think about, and something to drive you into an amazing weekend. You're in business, so one of the things that you probably don't do a lot of is sleep. You probably don't even sleep as much as you should. Um, when you do sleep, it might be tossing and turning. You might be doing work on your laptop in bed until 11.30, maybe 1 a.m. I don't know. I know I did that last night. Let's see where you are. Today, I have with me a sleep expert named Mary. Uh, Mary, I know better than that. I just met Martha. It's Martha B. Lewis. And Martha is a world-renowned sleep expert. She is a successful uh, consultant, a blogger, a speaker, and she went through a story of struggling with her own sleep and finding the keys to a better night rest. And the, the biggest thing that she focuses on is the reasons why high achievers like me and you cannot sleep and what to do about it. So I'm really, really excited. Um, when I saw this come over my desk as an option uh, to have a guest like this, I jumped at it because there's nothing more important than your sleep. So talk about the most important thing in business. Let's go sleep. And let's not go to sleep yet, especially if you're driving, but let's talk about sleep for later on tonight. Martha, welcome to the show. How are you, my friend? I'm great, Matt. Thanks for having me. I am just, like I said, stoked out of my mind for this interview. Um, your background, let's talk a little bit about that because um, you are not like, a, a, didn't have a medical background. What was your background when you came to this whole sleep world in the first place? Yes, well, my first passion was nutrition and especially gut health. And so I got a master's in nutrition about 10 years ago and then kind of fell out of that, ended up having a baby who didn't sleep. I ended up hiring a sleep consultant to help with his sleep. And then I became a sleep consultant for parents to help with their children sleeping. And then I wasn't sleeping. And so I ended up uh, luckily, the my mentor who I trained with for baby sleep also offered an adult sleep certification class. And so I took that pretty skeptical that it would help, but it totally did. And it turned out I needed to combine multiple changes in my life to get back to sleeping how I used to, which is great. Wow. So there's actual sleep certification classes. You see, I just thought it was something that you just did or didn't do very well, but you can actually go to school for it. <laughs> Amazing. Oh, yeah. Can, yeah. can we actually start with the baby bit a little bit? Yeah, sure. Um, so you, you got into it as, as being a parent. What, 
what, what would happen? So are you talking newborn stage? Um, was it, did you have a colicky baby? Were they not sleeping through the night? Tell me a little bit about kind of the baby experience and then maybe, you know, what you started finding uh, worked to change. Right. Well, my son, by the time he was three months old, was still waking up every hour or two, which they should actually be sleeping longer than that by the time they're three months old. And at that point, I had to go back to work and I didn't know how I was going to function. And so I ended up hiring a sleep consultant again. And what that involved was teaching him his own independent sleep skills. So instead of me nursing him to sleep, rocking him to sleep, um, you know, I give him the space to fall to sleep on his own while still being there and offering comfort. And then once he was able to do that, he slept so great. And now he's three and a half and he's been a great sleeper ever since. So, so you know, the, can, you, can you talk to me a little bit about some of the nuance there though? Cause, and I have a, a son who's almost nine and we've okay. actually been walking through some of the sleep stuff lately because what my wife and I did is we went definitely too far on the, on the sleeping, you know, we did co-sleeping in the beginning and it was wonderful and we love him and he's safe and secure. And there's a lot of positive that came from that. And, you know, this conversation certainly isn't about making somebody right or wrong. Cause it's funny, like you want to charge people up on social media, tell them you co-sleep or <laughs> tell them who you voted for as a president and they just go nuts. Right. So it's not about like defending what happened, but it's more like, well, you know, for us, we probably went too close. And then one of the byproducts is he learned that he needed us to be able to sleep throughout the night. And now we're still like working on this stuff. So how did you, how do you find that, that place where you're not just shutting them up in the room, letting them quote, cry it out. How do you feel like you're there for them, but at the same time, let them grow the independence that they need? Right. Well, I really struggle with this with my son because I came from an attachment parenting viewpoint. Like I did co-sleep with him and, but the thing was I wasn't sleeping. So I think whatever works for people is great. I'm not against co-sleeping at all. If that's what's working and everyone's sleeping for me, it was not working. He wasn't sleeping and I wasn't sleeping and I was a mess. And so, but I really struggled with, you know, having him cry and, and the whole cry it out method. But it turns out you don't have to just leave your baby alone to cry and not respond. Like you can be there with them. You can be offering comfort. And of course, for older kids, it's going to be different. This is more for, you know, a younger baby that you can be there supporting them so that, you know, they know they're not abandoned while they learn this new skill. And then you kind of gradually move farther and farther away to where they're just fine doing it on their own. Does that answer your question? In a way, for sure. How how gradual is the process? Do you believe, uh, is it about like stages? So maybe you're like, hey, I'm there with you, but for a period of time, and then I'm going to be there in the hallway, and then I'll be back in my room, and you're okay on your own? Like, can you speak a little bit to kind of, and maybe we're, what I'm really talking about is breaking patterns, you know, and that right, might right. be a whole different conversation we can come back to if you want. But how how does that breaking a pattern work? What would you say to a parent who has been overindulgent, let's say, and I'm not talking about me, but maybe someone I know. <laughs> well, yes, <laughs> you know, gradual for a baby can be as few as six nights for an older child. You know, I would say it's about nine nights. And so, yeah, it is more in stages. So a few nights you're at a certain point in the room and then you're, you know, halfway out the door and then you're out in the hallway. And, and then, you know, Again, with older kids, it's a lot more complicated because it's behavioral at that point. And so I combine other strategies as well, 
with that gradually moving away. And so it is definitely a process sometimes with the, you know, toddlers and older who I work with, it can take up to three weeks until oh they're- Oh my gosh, you say that like it's a long time. That would be a dream come true if it was only three <laughs> weeks. It can take up to three whole weeks. Yeah. <laughs> We've been no, at this it, for nine years. I will take, I will take four weeks, Martha. <laughs> <laughs> it is, it is possible. Oh, that's, well, that, that's, that's good news. I, I love, I love the hope. Um, and guys, we're, uh, we're talking with Martha Lewis, sleep consultant, blogger, speaker, and expert. And you can follow Martha at Facebook and Instagram at Complete Sleep Solution at Facebook and Instagram. And her website is thecompletesleepsolution.com. Um, very, very uh, interesting stuff. Let's talk about um, adult sleep then. So forget about for a moment the co-sleeping and all that stuff. What would you say... Well, you know what? How about this? This might be a different interview because I know you've done a lot of these. Can I just have you diagnose me? Sure. Okay, cool. So, <laughs> <laughs> so one of the things I'll have is I'm not tired when I should be tired. Meaning, you know, it's, it's 10, 11 o'clock. And if I was really tired, maybe I would go to sleep. But I get myself wired. And I watch my mom, who's 71 years old now, and she's the same way. She'll be up cleaning the house at 1.30 in the morning and then go to bed at 2 or 3. But then she doesn't wake up till late in the morning. So she, I've always believed, and I don't know if it's necessarily true, but we've both kind of in the family believed that, well, we're just late night people. What's your take on wiring? Early birds, late you know, night owls. Is that a thing or is that all behavioral? No, it's definitely a thing. I mean, we're genetically predisposed to have a certain circadian rhythm. And so certain people are more early birds and certain people are more night owls. Now, what you do, you know, in the hours leading up to bed can definitely determine what time you're actually able to fall asleep. And it really all has to do with cortisol. So if you're, you know, wired, that literally means that your body has all this cortisol and that's good during the day, but at night, you want to be at pretty much zero cortisol. And that's because cortisol suppresses melatonin, which is your sleepy hormone, which you need to sleep. So, you know, lots of things can raise your cortisol, stress being a number one, as I'm sure most people are well aware of. That and this is mental, emotional, physical, right? Any kind of stress, essentially. So if you're up worrying all night or you're up worrying about something, finances, let's say, or whatever that's going to produce more cortisol in you. So now you're going to feel a little more stress and it's going to suppress melatonin. And because the closest I think a lot of people do is they'll like, maybe you take the melatonin, um, uh, you know, as a mineral supplement and you go, okay, well, I'm going to take this and it's natural and it should help me sleep, but then it doesn't work. And it right. sounds like the problem so much isn't about how do I get more melatonin initially is how do I make sure I don't have cortisol? How do I make sure that I'm decompressing that stuff? Am I on the right track? You've got it. So how do I, what, what are some, what are some cortisol creating activities that you find people often do in the evening hours that maybe they shouldn't? Well, you know, stress throughout the day is still going to cause you to have really high cortisol at night. And that's going to keep you from sleeping. Uh, being exposed to blue lights also suppresses melatonin is telling your body that it's time to be awake. So when you're in front of screens or have, you know, you, all the lights on your house on, that's telling your body that it's daytime. And so it's not going to produce melatonin and let you go to sleep. So the blue light thing really is a real thing. Cause I feel like there's, 
there's arguments on either side of that. You know, there's some people who are like super holistic health nut and they're like, no, blue lights are everything and, and lasers and, you know, you got to change the whole thing. And then other people go, well, it's maybe not that big of a deal. So you would subscribe to like, if you can reduce or take out the blue light in your phone screen, would that be a right. good thing? That kind of stuff? Yeah, definitely. And you know, everyone's different. So some people are more sensitive to it than others. It also is depending on if you're getting natural sunlight during the day and, you know, living more in nature's rhythms instead of this having this low light compared to sun all day long and even into the night, then again, that's going to affect everyone differently, but it does have an effect. Makes perfect sense. You know, it's like, you. I guess you go back to the ancestors, right? And and it's like during the day you have light and you're up and doing things. And when the sun begins to, to wane, the circadian rhythm or the, the earth's natural rhythm is starting to kick in. So your body knows it's coming close to time when it'll be dark. And then when it's dark, it's time to hibernate. Makes perfect sense. What about if you're in a place like I live in Michigan, Grand Rapids, Michigan, in a place where we don't get a lot of sunlight. Would you recommend one of those like sunlight you know, like supplements that you plug in? Or is it about just like, even if it's cloud covered and not a lot of sun, at least being outside as much as possible, being in nature, being uh, attuned to it? What are some kind of recommendations? And again, I'm just, I'm throwing out ideas. I don't, I don't know if I'm on the right track or not. What's your take on the sunlight if you don't get a lot because of your work or because of where you live? Yeah, definitely. And I'm in Jackson, Wyoming. So I'm in a similar boat as you, <laughs> where it's definitely not light first thing in the morning in the winter. So that's oh, when gosh, I, no. yeah. So that's when I use a light therapy lamp when I wake up and there, you want to look for one that's at least 10,000 lux. Lux is what they use to measure light. And they're really inexpensive now on Amazon for $40. You can get you know, a pretty decent one. And so turning that on just for 20 or 30 minutes in the morning is beneficial. And then at noon, trying to get outside, even if it's overcast, you're still getting some natural sunlight, or if you can't get outside, then using that lamp again. But there's evidence that 80% of our body clock can be set by uh, getting light at noon. So that can be helpful there. Wow. I'll say that again, 80% of your body clock can be set by getting light at noon. So getting light at the right time and not hiding in fluorescence in an office. So get outside and do something. That's what I'm taking away from it. Exactly. Oh, I love yeah. that. So when we started getting into this then, what, what were some of the most common, I don't know, like stories you would see? Like people go, oh, is it just, I can't sleep? Well, what's the most common? Is it like not being able to fall asleep? Is it being woken up throughout the night? Is it waking up in pain? What sort of stuff was coming your way? Yeah, honestly, the most common with everyone I deal with is that some people have trouble falling asleep, but everyone I, I work with wakes up in the middle of the night, whether that's one or two or three in the morning, and then they have a really hard time falling back asleep. So again, that's from cortisol <clears throat> being released at that at the wrong time. And you know, besides the stress that we've already talked about, like that's external stress, that we internalize, but any kind of stress, including, you know, having an infection like a parasite or fungal overgrowth or, um, yeah, being on a blood sugar roller coaster all day where your blood sugar isn't stable, then that's going to continue into the night. And when your blood sugar gets too low, your body releases cortisol. So 
there are lots of these. Yeah, there are lots of these health reasons, which I've recently learned about and learned about testing for those that impact our sleep. And so those are the people I work with who have been dealing with this for, you know, 5, 10, 20 years. They, they already know all the basic stuff a lot of the time, you know, like we read about not avoiding screens before bed and not eating a big meal and not drinking too much before bed, like all the basic things. But if you're already doing all those and you still aren't sleeping, then something's going on physiologically that luckily we can find and fix, which is really cool. That is really cool. And it's interesting because what you just said too is like the common things that most people have heard about. It's like, oh yeah, I don't have a big meal of pasta before bed. Um, but I don't think there's a lot of people eating a big bowl of pasta at 1130 at night and then trying to go to bed at midnight, you know? Um, <laughs> like certainly there are, but like, I, I think it's much more, you know, here's something I fall into a lot. So all my schedule keeps getting pushed back. You know, we were a couple minutes late on the show here because of me, because my last interview got pushed by a couple minutes. And sometimes the whole day goes like that. And I'm enjoying it. It's fun. But I'll bet you I have more cortisol because I'm trying to make things happen and try to stay in schedule. And then I have a a meeting with the men in the church out tonight. So I'm going to head off to that and then I'll come back home. And then what I'll find is this, I get home and it's like, okay, I've been going and giving myself to people in my work and that's been wonderful, but it's also a little draining on the other side. And then I go be with friends or go be with community or be with my family or put my son to bed, whatever the case is. And then by the end, it's like, oh, now it's 930 and maybe I ate too early. You know, I had like the late lunch at four and I wasn't quite hungry at dinner time. So now it's 930 or 10. I'm hungrier than I should be. I'm drained emotionally because I haven't had me time sounds so prissy, but you know what I'm saying? Like I haven't had time just to just decompress or just do something that makes me smile and just hang out without any demands on my time. Yeah. I might be an impossible case. I recognize that. (laughs) <laughs> but what, what do I do at 10 o'clock at night when I'm back and I'm a little bit hungry and I know I don't want to have a meal, but at the same time, if I stay up another hour now, I'm going to be going to bed hungry and I know I don't sleep well that way. Do you have any suggestions on kind of nutrition at the end of the night to balance that out? Yeah, that's really important because you're right. You don't want to go to bed hungry. And if that happens, your blood sugar is going to drop too low in the night and you're going to wake up. So having a small snack of about 200 calories, you want that to have some complex carbohydrates and some uh, healthy fat and protein combined is is a perfect snack. So if that's an apple and peanut butter, for example, that would be a nice thing to have. You know, I was actually doing that for a little while and maybe I heard that somewhere, but that, that, so that something like that, like almond butter and celery or apple and peanut butter, something like that could be really good, but not half a bag of Doritos or a pint of Ben and Jerry's. Exactly. Like, yeah, if you have just sugar or just carbohydrates, it's going to spike your blood sugar leading to that blood sugar crash. But you need, you actually want some carbohydrates because that helps you produce uh, serotonin, which is another hormone that helps us relax and sleep. So that is important as well. Martha, anyone ever tell you you're like a genius? This is so good. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I didn't invent this stuff. I just like to read a lot and learn. Hey, you know, there's something about, I mean, Tony Robbins built an entire career for 45 years 
simply on modeling and interviewing and reading about geniuses and people that know how to do something and then turning it into a teaching system. So kudos to you for doing that. Um, it's, it's very appreciated. So this is a little nuance, right? It's like um, the idea of like, well, eat something, but make sure there's a good amount of fat in it. And just realizing that my blood sugar will drop if I go to bed hungry and that's going to make me wake up in the morning. It's not necessarily the bad back or what it might be all different things, but it's not necessarily the thing that people think it is. Is that true? Yeah, definitely. Or it could be multiple, you know, a combination of things too. So now from this point then, okay, so we get some, some, uh, solid blood sugar. What about bathroom? What about the, the bladder? I know there's a, a whole, we could run the gamut of health or medical issues for why and what happens there. But do you have any, just kind of maybe a counterintuitive or just a tip on if someone seems to always have to get up to go pee? Well, I honestly, <laughs> I get up and go pee once a night, every night. You do. And when I was, yeah, when I was having sleep issues, I would get up to pee and then I'll go back to bed and not be able to fall asleep. So I started to think that the having to go to the bathroom was a problem. But now once I figured out my sleep, I still get up, I go to the bathroom and then I go back to bed and I go right back to sleep. So, ah, so it's not you know, the going to the bathroom. It's the right. not being able to fall back asleep. Something else is going on. Exactly. Of course, okay. if you're waking up multiple times to go to the bathroom, that's another issue, but <laughs> Yeah, just gotcha. once a night. Or if you don't wake up and you still went to the bathroom, that's yet another issue. <laughs> <laughs> Even bigger issue, right? Yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> um, are you, um, I, I, I apologize, I didn't ask this earlier, but are you Are you married? Are you, do you sleep in the same room with somebody? Yes, I am married. Uh, and my husband and I just got a king-size bed, which is amazing. <laughs> let's talk beds and let's talk married life, sleeping in the room with someone else. Yeah. So it's funny because I think I have this, I don't know if it's from growing up, but some preconceived notion that, you know, couples should sleep together or a king's bed isn't good for your marriage. I don't agree with that anymore. You're sleeping like that's all you're doing. It's not like you're spending quality time together. So I think having room to move freely, being comfortable is very important to your sleep. And there's something that's now being called a sleep divorce, and that's of couples sleeping apart. And supposedly that's growing. And now 25% of married couples sleep in separate beds. I have been reading about, so my wife and I have been going through this exact conversation over the last couple of months. And, you know, we even tried, you know, should I say it? Yeah, I'll say it. I'll, I'll say it on the show right now. We tried sleeping apart and, and there was a room upstairs. I was like, you know what? I'll sleep up here. You sleep down there. And then I, you know, all my clothes here, you have your clothes there. We love each other. We spend all day together. We spend so much time together. So it's like zero to do with anything negative, but everything to do with, we have different sleep patterns. We have different sleep times. She gets up early. I stay up late, you know, and that whole thing, my parents go through that and countless couples have gone through that. Something exactly. stuck though. And I don't know if it was just the philosophy, but there was, it was weird for us. And I know it works for a lot of people, but I like the freedom of being able to sleep on my own without disturbing her and being able to do however I do it. And she does the same thing, but there was just something that didn't sit with us just not sleeping in the same room. It felt like we were doing that sleep divorce and I didn't like it. She didn't like it either. So now we're, of course we're sleeping together, but then there's that the original problem of, okay, well, how do we deal with this? 
you need the light on or all that kind of stuff. So how do you and your, you said you just got a king size bed. How do you guys deal with that? Well, we still deal with it pretty well. I do go to bed a little bit later than my husband and he does get up earlier than I do, but it doesn't usually disrupt me. Uh, there are some times where, you know, he's snoring in the middle of the night and that will wake me up and I just kind of have to push him over. But in a bigger bed, it's honestly <laughs> way less of an issue. I don't hear it as much. So, you know, I think that it's whatever works best for your relationship and for your sleep. So if you like the idea of sleeping together and that's working for you, that's great. But I also don't think there's any harm or any you know, meaning you need to add to your marriage if you are sleeping separately and that's how you sleep the best. Really interesting. So for you guys, it does work. So go big or go home, you get a big king size bed and it works. And that's really, <laughs> really good. Um, <laughs> I love that. Can we talk about, you have something you said you, you, you set aside that you'd like to give away too. And I want to plug that for sure. You have a, a PDF of the five little known reasons high achievers can't sleep and what to do about it. Can you tell us a little bit about what we find in there um, and then where to get it? Yeah. So that gets into some of the science of why your cortisol levels might be high in the night. So I already hinted at that with blood sugar levels but there are four other reasons in there. Um, I'll tell you another one has to do with gut health. And so if I did mention parasites briefly, but if you have inflammation going on in your gut or a parasite living in your gut that's causing inflammation, then that's going to cause you to wake up in the night. So that's just a little teaser. There are a few more things in there and an explanation of those. And then what you can do about it, how you find out if you have those and how to fix it. Uh, you heard it here, the five little known reasons high achievers can't sleep and what to do about it from Martha Lewis. You can get that at thecompletesleepsolution.com slash sleep tips. And you can follow Martha on Facebook and Instagram for more tips, I'm sure, and all sorts of great stuff at Complete Sleep Solution on Facebook and Instagram. Um, last couple of questions as we kind of wind down, Martha, is, um, and I hope it's okay, we're going, usually we do a lot more just kind of storytelling and hanging out, but this is just such such good stuff. I, I really, I don't want to have you leave me here without uh, getting some more answers. So tell me about bed type. Tempur-Pedic, memory foam. There's a huge push on new memory foam and you know, you can get beds that come in the roll and there's purple and there's Amerisleep and Casper and all these big brands. It's a huge fad now. Do you think, is this superior? Is it inferior? Is it preference? Is it a fad or is it going to be the new normal? <laughs> like everything else, I think it's individual and personal. And so I do think it's preference as to what people find most comfortable. I am on the very natural organic side of things. And so like the new mattress I got is organic and non-toxic, which I actually think is really important because if your mattress is like they off gas chemicals if it's not natural and those can cause inflammation and affect your sleep. So it all circles round to, to being as natural as possible and as comfortable as possible. Is well, that's how a I fair point it. too. I mean, if anyone has ever gotten one of those Tempur-Pedic or, you know, memory foam mattresses, you like can't sleep on it for days. You know, you open up in the carton and it just smells up the whole room. So that's a fair point too. Um, yeah. What about pillows? Um, like your, your neck. So like my family, we all, you know, have regular chiropractic in our lives and it's uh, always been a very important thing for us. Um, what, what I find sometimes when I sleep is like, I, 
I quote, I'm a side sleeper, but I just really am. And I always fall asleep on my side and it always feels best on my side. But then it's like, I'm trying to pay attention to where my neck is. I'm trying to find the right pillow. I'm 40 years old. I don't think I've ever found the perfect pillow for me. Do you have any tips or suggestions on finding the right pillow or any counterintuitive ideas um, of how to, how to get your neck in the right place? Well, there's no, it's out of left field, but you're, yeah, yeah. you're good enough for this. There are so many products coming out that are, you know, four different types of sleepers. For a side sleeper, you definitely want a more firm pillow. And I'm a side sleeper too. So I know how that is. Oh, um, crazy. Yeah. I've seen ones that have kind of a little divot in where your ear goes. So your ear doesn't fall asleep, which I think is really cool because that is why I end up turning over because my ear kind of gets numb. And so I turn over to the other side. But yeah, you want something firmer and they, you know, they make ones that are ergonomic. Um, so I would recommend something like that. All right. I love that. So get a, a firmer pillow if you're a side sleeper. So that it makes sense. You can imagine your posture. So your head doesn't tilt all the way back and then you're just tweaked. It makes right. perfect sense. I love that. Well, Martha, thank you so much for, for coming on. The time has passed so fast. Um, I want to ask you one final question is, you know, knowing what you know now, what would you tell a pregnant you about sleep that you didn't know then? Oh, that's a tough one. <laughs> <laughs> I've never asked I, that question before because I've never had a sleep expert with a young kid. So there you go. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I still think that you kind of have to do whatever you need to survive in the newborn stage. So I do, I work with some newborns now and we work on developing healthy sleep habits, but you don't really want to be sleep training until they're at least three months old, but you can start, you know, I think that a lot of why babies don't sleep is because of what we do. Like we end up holding them all the time and nursing them to sleep and rocking them to sleep when yeah. they're perfectly capable of going to sleep on their own, usually from the time they're born. So it's more like giving them that space. And also not running in the second you hear them crying. So that's definitely what I did. Um, and instead just pausing because a lot of times babies will cry out as they transition from one sleep cycle to the next. And then they'll just go right back to sleep if you don't go in there and wake them up completely. So yeah, to me, I think it's just give a little bit more space, give them a little more benefit of the doubt that they can do it. And also try to relax about it because everything is fixable and you don't have to go years without getting sleep. If you, I, you know, I, I, I'm excited about that. I'm going to try out some of these things starting now, actually, because East coast time for me is we're recording this. It's almost 5 PM. So that means I probably shouldn't be Netflixing for the next five hours. I'm going to try my best to, uh, to cut down the cortisol, to relax, to pray, to meditate, to stretch a little bit and get out of the blue light get out of the blue light. Martha Lewis, thanks for coming on the show. I sure appreciate you very, very much. And I hope you sleep well tonight. Thanks. You too, Matt. All right, guys, that's the show for today. I hope that was uh, fun for you as it was for me. I really enjoyed that. So Martha, uh, thanks again to Martha Lewis. Remember, you can find all things Martha Lewis um, at thecompletesleepsolution.com. And you can get those five tips. So why high achievers don't sleep and what they can do about it, how to fix it. And of course, follow her on all social media, Complete Sleep Solution. Um, just a plethora of information. I'm really excited about that. And I hope that you get a good night's sleep tonight so you can continue working on your business and feeling vibrant and healthy and energetic. 
So get out there this week and don't crush it today. Instead, sleep on it. 